Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Optive Podcast. It's a podcast where John Segatowski, Nick Gibson, and me, Andy Schmidt, discuss some of the hard theological and cultural topics in the Bible, bringing three different perspectives from three different generations. I hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. We are back. It's been been a minute, and the people were missing us, and so we had to hop on here at 7.30 a.m., Answer, answer some questions. Um, and he isn't. And he uh, isn't normally up this early, but I, no, I am virtually every single day. <laughs> there you go. By this time. Um, yeah, I'm not usually up, but we got some questions from some people, and one of the ones that I wanted to talk about today a little bit is is this one. So I'm going to read it off, and then Nick and John can give their response, and then we'll probably. Uh, talks about uh, one other question a little bit later on in the pod. But here's the question that I got from a from a listener. Do those who have died sometimes comfort those they left? I've heard some stories, some interesting stories from friends about unusual experiences and often involving animals or birds. And a few years ago, a song from The Sound of Music was playing in our living room loudly uh, after my uh, friend's daughter had just died and that was her favorite musical i told my friend about about it and her and it gave her a lot of peace i don't want to start seeking after signs but i think it's which i think is borderline dangerous and i have no idea if this is something christians wonder about i just know that god is bigger than we can imagine for and more loving than we could grasp is and his ways are way beyond our small minds i Struggle reading that since it's early. It is it is, it is seven forty AM. So <laughs> uh, that's the question. What what do you guys what are your thoughts on that? I just want to point out that for a lot of people who work for a living, many of them are more than halfway through their morning shift right now. So it's not really oh. early. <laughs> um so there's a, a couple things. One is that um it is, in fact, true that God is bigger and more powerful and more loving than we can imagine and does desire to comfort his people. Those statements are all true. The question is whether or not it is sequitur. That is, is it logically connected to the idea that God allows people to come back in disembodied form to do things that they find comforting? Um, one of the things that we discussed before before we got on the podcast is how little is said in the Bible about human disembodied experience on the earth. And the answer is almost nothing in the entirety of scripture. There's a, there's a couple things that we can surmise. Um, first we can surmise from the beginning of the old Testament in the Torah that God explicitly tells the people of God not to use spiritists and not to seek to interact with the dead. Now, you can say that God was trying to make his people um, unsuperstitious because that can't be done. Or you can believe that it can be done and that Christians are not to do it. Does that make sense? Now, that would lead mm-hmm. us to um, the one of the only references to um, a spirit or a ghost in the Bible, which is when Saul is nearing his death. He's seeking counsel. There's no prophet of God that he can get counsel from. 
he's banished all the spiritists from the land of Israel. There's a basically a retired witch in Endor, an older woman who hasn't apparently been doing this kind of thing for years on threat of death, and he finds her, disguises that he's Saul, and he tells her to call up Samuel's spirit. So no, Samuel is the paragon of godliness in as a, in as a, in a believer. So um, you can't use the argument that um, you know that the person being called up like isn't godly or something like that. Samuel's the paragon of godliness in the Old Testament. And so the witch does it. Like she calls up the spirit of Samuel. Samuel shows up, delivers a prophetic vision to Saul. Basically, you're going to die by this time tomorrow. You're going to be dead and leaves. Um, that's the only reference I can think of in the whole Bible, which refers to an actual ghost being seen and interacting with people. Saul obviously does exactly what God told him not to, which is to utilize a spiritist or a medium to do it. And it is part of his condemnation and judgment that he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, in, later in the Bible, I think in the book of Chronicles, for example, it actually refers back to Saul doing this as one of his very wicked deeds. So I, th- I think one of the things Christians need to take away, whether or not God initiates people in spiritual form after their death to interact with us, the Bible consistently condemns very seriously our pursuit of such things, especially through occult means. That that is not where our power is derived from. And we should not seek those means in doing so. They are explicitly and supremely forbidden to us. And that we have to turn to God and God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, for whatever spiritual power it is that we believe that we can and should access, which Mm -hmm. is infinite. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the main teaching of Scripture on this. Now, as you move into the New Testament, especially in 2 Corinthians, there's a strong teaching on the disembodied existence of human beings. That contrary to naturalism, our soulishness is not entirely tied to our physical brains though the two are very composite in when we're embodied. And so we, the Bible promises we can and will have disembodied existence. That is, our soul can exist by itself in some way, and therefore the possibility of something like a ghost can and does exist. There is such a thing as a spirit, a disembodied spirit, which means that it is conceivable that all manner of things related to disembodied spirits might be right or true that we um, aren't explicitly told about in the scriptures, which has led to a considerable amount of human speculation, obviously. Every culture in the world has its science of spirits, so to speak. It's it's occult. It's, it's beliefs in ghosts, all those kinds of things. Every society I've ever been to has some lore about spirits and some series of ghost stories. Mm-hmm. So, so that, that's a universal human tendency. Whether that's because we're all, su- uh, like as the naturalists would say, all hopelessly superstitious and make these things up, or whether or not all human beings of all cultures have had some kind of experience with a spiritual world has more to do with your assumptions, I think, than empirical science. Hmm. So the specific answer then to the question is, is I don't think we can really know. But how dangerous is it to like, because I think there's been a big push in like just modern not even christianity just people in general that like when someone dies or or whatever people are like spend the rest of their life like searching for like a sign from that person or like i was talking to my grandma 
uh, a couple weeks ago and she when she was a kid she like one of her one of her friends committed suicide and and she was like he, she felt like he was like telling her through the weather and all this like kind of like honestly when i was listening to it i was like this is just weird and so i wonder like how how dangerous is that because when i hear about that stuff i kind of get i get sketched out a little bit because i know that like people can get a little bit weird about it so how dangerous is it to search after that type of thing like is that something that satan can use to basically push people away from god well, I mean, formally speaking, Satan can use basically everything to push people away from God. I mean, Satan uses good theology to push people away from God. Mm-hmm, he uses right. truths about God to push people away from God. So mm-hmm. the answer is yes. Is I think what you're asking more specifically is, is this an area that's super ripe, that's really easy for Satan or devils to use to tempt people to believe really wacky stuff? And the, I think the answer is yes, very much mm-hmm. so. Because it relies so much in speculation, it's so connected to our emotional needs and tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, every I, I don't I know I know hardly anyone who has not desired some post death experience with a loved one to bring them comfort. That the person continues to exist, and the person continues to exist in peace. That that desire everyone has, um, whether they're Christian or not, religious or not. I mean, I know people who are not religious at all who still find themselves believing things in, of that nature. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I've experienced that desire myself when my father died suddenly. Um, I had dreams with my dad in them where he said things to me. Um, but I've never been able to be sure whether that, you know, was my own mind working things out when I'm asleep or what, mm-hmm. you know. And sometimes those kinds of dreams are so cathartic or so real that you feel totally differently about them when you wake up, Hmm. that you feel very different when you're having them. And so they feel different than other dreams. Right. And so I think sometimes people conclude, and I don't think it's crazy to conclude this. They conclude this was an encounter with us, with something spiritual. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, that's, that's part of the thing. What I know is we're not supposed to seek them via spiritists that we're not to use the occult to contact the dead. That our comfort is supposed to come from Christ and in Christ, not from the disembodied spirit of a lost loved one. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, yeah, I, I think that that can be really dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so the next speculation that people interact with it is that if you do interact with something like a ghost or a spirit or something in that way, are you interacting with a spirit or are you interacting with a devil? Mm-hmm. Is it just deception? I, th- I think that that's like when I was in India, we talked. One of the passages we did in our hard passages class was the Samuel, bringing up the spirit of Samuel passage. And the vast majority of Indian pastors who are conservative and relatively uneducated assume that what Saul sees is a, is a demon that looks like Samuel. And that that's how we should regard all spirits like that. And in, in India, I have some sympathy for that because there's a lot of folk religion surrounding rakshas and all these other hindu territorial gods and goddesses that that devour people and kill babies and give people evil eye and all that kind of thing which leads to an enormous amount of superstition and bad things however 
the text of the Bible itself in that passage doesn't really allow for that interpretation, I don't think. I think we're supposed to believe that the Spirit really does call up Samuel, and we really are hearing from the prophet Samuel, and that God allows that to take place. Okay. John, did you have any thoughts on that? Um, yes, I, mean, I think the um, A thing to take from this is in in those moments where it seems like, okay, right, like Nick was talking about, where either these these dreams can feel sort of so so real that they seem like an encounter with with a person who has passed or that like something comes on and you um like like the sound of music soundtrack or something like that coming on and you know taking notice of that in particular i think i mean there's a couple things with that is one like when your mind is attuned to something you can just notice that thing like i remember a couple years ago we I was a part of this Bible. This is like when I was a brand new Christian, I was a part of this Bible study called the Acts 242 Bible study. And it like, from that moment on, I started noticing 242 everywhere. And it was just because I was like, now I was like, you, you can see the things that you see, like you see the things that you're looking for, you know? So like, if that's in your, that's in your mind as like something that you're trying to find, you'll see it everywhere and like so similarly to how i obviously in a much smaller way like saw 242 everywhere it was just because i was like looking for that in a new kind of way um so i think on, on one side that can be a part of sort of the psychological that psychological dynamic that's happening and um and then on the other side i do think that god can can comfort us in ways that um that like bring to mind something about the person who has passed. Like, I think God is capable of, of like, right. A, a piece of music coming on that makes you feel that like lets you work through some sort of emotion that you're feeling about the person or having a dream where you can kind of like sort through some of the things that you're thinking or feeling about the person. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like Nick has already said, like, it seems clear to me that it's not, it's something we at least know very little about and are not encouraged to seek. So we shouldn't, I don't think we should expect that that's what's happening. Um, but like, we should use the different interpretive lenses that we have, which are like, God comforts people. And these are the things that we know about how our minds work is that we will notice those kinds of things that we're looking for. Um, yeah. 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 Nick, you have something else to say? Yeah. I think that John's right to try to address this pastorally as well to say, we, you know, when you, when you lose someone, you're in a very, focused psychological state it's almost like anger where everything feels clear even if it's completely delusional and you are looking for something and you're going to see what you're looking for and so it's it's very common for people to have these kinds of experiences and it's not my intention to just simply explain them away and say nothing happened it's just important to recognize when you are in the realm of speculation and unconfirmed things and you have to hold whatever you experience or think you experience more lightly than the, the written word of God and the word of God in the gospel of Christ. I think that's the most important thing. 
And I think that you have to, whatever you think about ghosts or disembodied persons or afterlife experiences or whatever, you have to test those by the scriptures and not allow yourself to behave the other way around. Mm -hmm. Let whatever you think your perceived experience is dictate what the scripture says. Mm -hmm. Because that's when you no longer have the defensive line of scripture and you can be deceived very easily. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, well, earlier on, Nick said that there's not going to be much to be said on this. And I don't know anything about this, to be honest. I like, so I don't have a, a, an opinion on this. So I think that from that, we'll kind of shift over to another question um, that I think I said, I think I, in an earlier podcast, the evangelism podcast, I said that I was going to ask it the next time and I just didn't do it. But I think this is an important question and it's, and it's not, this has nothing to do with the previous question. So this is a whole new thing, but um, it's a question based off of like prophecy, like modern prophecy. So I'll say uh, in the old, when I'm reading through the old Testament and I'm reading about uh, through the prophets and Isaiah and, and they're talking about like the coming of Jesus and they're prophesying about the coming of Jesus like that makes a lot of sense to me when I'm reading that because it's like, okay, that's the Old Testament. They're talking about the coming of Jesus. And then in the New Testament, you see the fulfillment of that, uh, of the prophet, what the prophet said. But when you hear Paul talk about like people who prophesy or like uh, who prophets are in the New Testament, I get a little bit confused because I'm, I read through like Revelation is kind of the only, I guess it is uh, technically the only book in the New Testament that's a like a prophetic book. And so what is like a modern day prophet and what is modern day prophecy? Where like, cause I think that people get, this is another one that people get really weird about when it comes to prophecy. Cause I think that there's a lot of confusion around what prophecy is and who a prophet is. And so what, what does that look like in our modern church? John. I mean, I think, the um so if you look at like it, it seems most likely that the way that the new testament talks about the like old testament office of a prophet so somebody who is who is speaking in such a way that they're speaking that they can say like thus saith the lord like Either, either as it relates to a current situation or as it relates to talking about something in the future, that um, that seems to be the office of apostle in the New Testament. That like the apostles were the ones who could say, like these are the things that the Lord is saying. They were the ones who were able to to write scripture and to um, to speak with that sort of divine authority. Um, the apostle as in the, the 12 disciples, right? The 12. Right. Or I mean, plus, plus Paul, plus Paul, plus James. Yeah. yeah there's four or five other people referred to as apostles right. in the new Testament. Right. Okay. Like Silas and folks like that. Right. Okay. So, um, it seems to me that though, that that's kind of the, that like, as we look at what an old Testament prophet was doing in that they were able to speak the very words of God that that's the thing that then gets carried over into the New Testament in the office of the apostle. Because when you look at the way that Paul talks about prophecy, the way he talks about prophecy 
is that it's like he talks about it clearly as if it's not just God's words being said. Like he says to do things like test prophecy and to decide whether or not you're going to accept prophecy. And like if somebody starts prophesying and then somebody interrupts them, you should let that interruption happen. And like if these were the very words of God being spoken as if they were from God himself, then that that type of thing wouldn't be the way that we would deal with prophecy. So so I think at least to start, like the, I think there is a distinction between Old Testament thus saith the Lord prophecy and the kind of prophecy that Paul is talking about in the New Testament um, as the spiritual gift of prophecy. Right. And what is that? Because I'm thinking about who in the right mind has the balls to say that I'm going to tell you what God says. That's not part of the Bible. Like (laughs) that seems pretty sketched and kind of dangerous. Like so, what is the gift of prophecy? Like, why I don't why get would it. that have, why would that have been different in the Old Testament? I have no idea. I I would I wouldn't have said it back then either. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I think that there there was yeah, probably I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, Andy, I think that the penalty for false prophecy in the Old Testament is death. Okay. I mean, yeah. It, I mean, it, they took it really seriously, or at least were supposed to. God told them to take it very seriously, mm-hmm. right? So I, I just want to clarify the thing that John said before about pro- Old Testament prophecy equating at least in part to New Testament apostleship. I think that that's perfectly plausible. Is, I think it's important sometimes to say how much of what we're saying is an inference mm. in Scripture and how much of it is a direct statement. And what right. John is right, saying right, right. is a reasonable inference. Right. Because New Testament prophecy does carry some of this, some similarities to Old Testament prophecy, obviously. And also, it's true that in the Old Testament, there are a lot more prophets than sometimes we think. So in the times of Elijah and Elisha, there were schools of prophets, it says, in the scriptures. And that they, um, Elisha was going around to different schools of prophets. So there's groups of people, presumably living communally, who are a group of prophets, and in some ways learning and, and engaging in prophecy in ways that is, aren't recorded in the Bible, which um, which may have resembled, which which probably wouldn't have resembled the office of apostle in that there were right. a number of them in one yeah. place. And they yeah. were, so, so there's continuity and discontinuity here. I think John is right to say that um, prophets, many of the prophets recorded in the Old Testaments, the written prophets, mm-hmm. we regard their, their speaking as the written word of God. But at the same time, that came to us through a discernment process. What you know? Why do we keep Isaiah and none of the none of the other prophets that we don't hear about in the Bible, or there were the words of Elijah or Elisha, right? And it's probably because people discerned that, in at least in retrospect, that these people were speaking the words of God, right? Mm-hmm. And so there, I think there has been a discernment process. But I think John is right that within the local church, the way it functions, we look to the apostles. As speaking the words of God, but one of the things I, I just want to clarify, because I don't think John thinks that in the in the church today, if there are apostles that have the spiritual gift of apostleship, mm-hmm. that they speak the very words of God. Right. I, I think John would make a distinction that most of us would make that there are apostles and there are the apostles yes. with okay. the definite I, I article would, in front of it. I would make that distinction, yes. And that the apostles, that is the twelve disciples, and um, those also referred to as apostles like Paul, um, we trust their word 
through certain kinds of vetting and because of their position as the written word of God. Mm-hmm. But there are other people who have the title apostolos or apostle, and that just means like somebody who breaks new ground. So the word apostolos in Greek just means a person who is sent. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a there's a woman in one of the epistles. I can't I think I can't remember if it's Junius or or whoever in I think it's in the book of Romans who's referred to as an apostolos or an apostle. So um, if you meet somebody in the, so I think it's it's okay in certain cases to call somebody in the modern church an apostle, but don't confuse what John said about the apostles right. with the current spiritual gift apostleship. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Which is right. somebody who was sent out to do a new thing, or or so I, th- I would consider it like an entrepreneurial spiritual gift. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so then, if okay, so then you differentiate the what the twelve disciples apostles are, and then the the apostles who go or, and are sent out. That's great. But again, what then what does modern prophecy look like? Like, wh- how can we know if this if there's like, because I think there's this like big movement in young Christians who like, they want to feel like they're connected to God and they use prophecy as a way to like say that. And I heard a couple like last summer that like there's this group of like college students that were going to some meeting that where they practice the prophetic and i was like what does that even what does that even mean i don't even that doesn't make any sense to me like what what does it mean what is your like if somebody were to come up to you and say i'm a prophet what what would they be like this is something this is something that i have been have been trying to sort out and do not have like super solid for sure answers on so nick i would i would love to hear what what you have to say yeah <laughs> and be able to um, comment on that yeah um okay so there's a few a few things one is prophecy is referred to in the new testament as a spiritual gift a charismata that is a gift of grace and it's given for spiritual purpose. And it's listed alongside things like speaking in tongues and other kind of weird spiritual gifts and very seemingly mundane things like the gift of helping people or the gift of leadership or the gift of administration, the sexiest gift in the New Testament. <laughs> and so it's important to recognize that God gives a vast array of spiritual gifts to the church, that he gives everyone who puts it, their trust in him some form of spiritual gifting that is meant to strengthen and encourage others. And prophecy is one of them. Okay. So first it's one of the spiritual gifts and should not be revered among others above others. All are necessary and they're distributed just as God distributes them by his spirit. Secondly, prophecy in the new Testament is fully egalitarian. The, the role, for example, of eldership in the new Testament, according to my best understanding is reserved for men. That is not true of prophecy. In first Corinthians 11, for example, Paul explicitly encourages women to prophesy, albeit showing respect for, the men in the church and their authority and their and their husband's authority um, respectfully, but with complete freedom to speak in the church, especially in, re, in relationship to the, the prophetic. Okay, so it's a completely egalitarian ministry, um, which is one of the reasons why when churches shut it down, it becomes a sexism issue because pr- the prophetic is one of the one of the works of God speaking to his people and encouraging them through the through his word. And preaching is often done by elders and so shared the shared prophetic ministry and prayer ministries of the churches is one of the ways in which women are encouraged in the scriptures to have a ministry of the word in the church. That is to encourage, strengthen, exhort, rebuke other Christians 
within the local church for their good. And so when churches don't practice anything in relationship to the prophetic or prayer publicly, then it what it does is it by practice excludes women from speaking in the church in ways that they are encouraged in um, and vital to the life of the church. So I think it's important to recognize that it's egalitarian. And then if you don't have any kind of public ministry of prayer and prophecy in the church it, and you believe elders are supposed to be men, it ends up having a sexist effect, even if it doesn't come from a sexist heart. Mm. Okay. So then third, how is it practiced? Um, the way it seems to be practiced, if you think of your mind in two ways, that your mind essentially processes things in two ways. There's what you might call the deliberative mind and what you might call the intuitive mind. There's some things that just pop into your mind. You think they're right and you don't know why they're right or where that came from, but you're pretty darn sure it's right. That's the intuitive mind. The deliberative mind is when you. That's that's where I live. I I live in the intuitive mind. (laughs) I'm sure that's true. And then, and that's true of certain temperaments, and it's also true of people when they're younger and so on. The deliberative mind is when you sit around and think about something. You actually, you're thinking of four or five different things and how do they go together and how should they go together and what should you consider and blah, 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 right? Um, brain scientists tell us that these things happen in diff- very different parts of our brain and function very differently neurologically, and they are just sort of different things, right? When people preach, they are for the most part delivering a message from deliberation usually it's prepared usually they've thought about a text usually they've tried to prepare something through thought mm-hmm. conscious thought that is in line with, with the word of god spoken through the personality and thought in preparation of the preacher prophecy seems to be the work of god through the intuitive mind that people know something they're not absolutely sure why they know it but they believe that god is saying it and they think that it should be shared and so they do And because that is flowing through the intuitive mind like that, it has the capacity for us to be open to things we wouldn't otherwise be open to and probably to connect with things we wouldn't otherwise connect with. I think it's really hard to connect with the the urgings of the spirit in your deliberative mind. I just think that's really hard to do. But I think that the urgings of the spirit can flow through the intuitive mind very directly. You just have the intuition and it asserts itself in your mind. Mm -hmm. And then you can deliberate on it if you want. And you can also speak it to other people so that they can deliberate on it. That action is what I think is being referred to by New Testament prophecy. People have an impression or urge or intuitive thought about what they think God is saying. They think the intuition is from God, credibly, in their own mind at least. And then they share it with others in the church. And then the elders judge whether it's in line with the truth. If it is, then the church of God should consider it. It doesn't have to necessarily just obey it, but it should consider it. Right. Okay. So do does the church practice that though? Because I will tell you, as you guys both know, I have had these intuitive thoughts and been very hardcore on them, and I'll say them to people, and then six months later, I learn that I'm completely and 100% wrong, and I have to go back and apologize to everybody. And so I think like, is this being practiced? Well, I was going to ask two questions. I don't see that being practiced as like where you go to the elders and you sort through certain things like that. And the other thing is that like in our church, we we don't do any like, like prophetic, whatever. Like we don't have women doing their prophetic thing. Is that something, or or am I just missing that? Like, is that something that churches actually do? Or is that just something that, you read in the New Testament and it's like, yeah, that's what they used to do, but they don't really do that anymore or or what? Because 
I've never seen anything like that. Okay, you said a bunch of things there. Yeah. Yes, the intuitive mind can be wrong. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And the younger you are, if you haven't accumulated wisdom, so the, the intuitive mind is in some ways pre-programmed by other things you've thought or experienced. So if you've had unhelpfully unhelpful experiences in your your deeper mind has interpreted them in certain ways that's going to produce intuitive thoughts like if you for example people who feel intuitively like they're just completely worthless because they were like abandoned by one or both of their parents for unless they deal with that in a deep very deep psychological way the rest of their life their intuitive mind is going to produce thoughts of worthlessness in them right now if they think that's a prophetic word they're going to be really hurt you know i mean so a lot of what's in our intuitive minds is going to be nonsense, falsity, truths that we somehow know in in an intuitive way. And then also I think our our intuitive mind is what receives temptation. Because I think it's it's connected both with our bodily urges and also I think it's where we received demonic impressions. Right? And and also it's one of the it's, I think it's the faculty through which God speaks to us. And I think that it's important therefore to program this space between the deliberative mind and the intuitive mind which we sometimes refer to as the conscience like our intuitive sense that's been developed so it's intuitive but it's also been developed through deliberation and practice and growth and wisdom to intuit better Mm. and the long-term development of the conscience is what brings about virtue or what you might call intuitive wisdom you just know when you feel something is wrong and you're right about it that takes time and it takes development. And so as that happens, hopefully our intuitions are better all around, but I think we'll also be able to better intuit what is an intuition from God and what isn't. Which is one of the reasons why I think when people are younger in the faith, when God speaks to them, they know better sometimes than when they're, they've are they been in the faith a while because when you're first in the faith, when God really does speak, it sounds very different than your inner voices normally speak normally sound. Mm-hmm. Um. There are pitfalls to that, but it's also the truth. It's also true. And then as you grow in grace, your own intuitive mind starts sounding a lot more like the Holy Spirit. And I don't think it's always obvious which is which. Yeah. Could it also be that like when you're a young believer, because I, I felt that before where I'm like, uh, I, I f- over time, I felt less and less like I can hear God in my mind. Like I used to just be like, I used to be like, oh, God wants me to go do this and I could feel it. Could it also be that, like, when you're a new believer, or you're a young believer, God will just, like, tell you things in your mind that is basically what Scripture says, but I just haven't read it yet. And since I haven't read it, what I'm hearing from God is, like, so profound in my head that I'm like, I got to go do it. And then as time goes on, I'm a Christian. I read through Scripture, and I start to just know these things more in my head, kind of what you just said, I guess, where, like, I just know it, so then I feel like I can't hear God any, anymore, but... And in, in I guess it's less of that I can't hear him. It's more that I'm just more in tune with him. And my mind is more wired like him. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things to say about that. Because you, we can also grow less spiritual as we become more knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Christians can, yeah. as they develop the deliberative mind in Christ by reading scripture, they can start to ignore the intuitive mind in the spirit. And that's not really good. And they're becoming less spiritual while they're becoming more knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. You see this in some non-charismatic evangelical churches. 
or a lot of secular liberal churches as they right. they don't really believe the scriptures, but they have a set of doctrines they believe that are mostly political, but are also moral. And as they talk and think more about those, they think and feel less about the immediate work of the spirit sometimes. So, so you, you do see that a lot. You also see a retardation in the other direction too, where people get so focused on listening to God, the intuitive mind that they can't be bothered to read the scriptures and learn mm-hmm. Christian doctrine and those mm-hmm. sorts of things either. And so um, like Chesterton, GK Chesterton said, orthodoxy walks in a way on the top of a roof and can fall off multiple directions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also true in terms of listening to God within the intuitive mind. I do think it's important to add in the Lutheran caveat here. Um, Phil Carey in his book, good news for anxious Christians talks about quote, hearing God's voice in your heart. And he does note that nowhere in scripture are we told to do this or that it is a fundamental or important part of the Christian experience. And as far as I can tell in reading the new Testament many times, that's true. Hmm. So even though like a, a, a passage like Romans, um, Romans eight, the Romans eight, Romans seven, Romans eight, Romans eight, Romans eight yeah, the, the groanings eight, where, where God's, where it talks about the Holy spirit being in us and there's groanings mm-hmm. deeper than our words. And that like the spirit is sort of like praying for us and in us though that sort of a passage or, you know, people might point to that and be like, well, look, see you do here, but that that's actually not what that verse says. What that verse is insinuating is that, that there is a way that God is working in us in prayer in ways that we can't put words to and that we don't know what the intuition is and that it sounds more like a, a yearning, a groaning of a yearning inside of us, which isn't intelligible. It literally says it's not intelligible, right? And some people will go, well, that's because you're speaking in tongues. But that's not what it says. Mm-hmm. It's non-linguistic is what, is what the passage is insinuating. Mm-hmm. That we have no idea what it means, and there's no reference to speaking in tongues, though Paul knows about speaking in tongues, could teach about, has taught about speaking in tongues, and it seems like would have said something about speaking in tongues, but he doesn't. And I don't think that that should be read in there. So when you look at those passages carefully, um, experiencing prophecy, experience speaking in tongues, or experiencing hearing God's voice in your heart, so to speak, none of those are fundamental New Testament needs in Christian spirituality. They're not necessary for faith. The word of Christ comes through Christ in the written scriptures, the preaching of Christ's church. It's offered to us in the word of the gospel. We can believe it by faith and be experienced regeneration and receive the spirit to help us grow in virtue and wisdom as we seek to walk in godliness in, in the word of God and to keep in step with the spirit as God reveals himself in his written word and in the person of Christ. And so it's very, it's so evangelicals, especially in evangelical charismatics in particular, especially younger people who are in a position of life where they're converting a lot of potential into actual, which is full of anxiety, long for God to make their decisions for them by telling them who they should marry or what job they should do or what major they should go into or whether they should become a missionary. And so they want to hear God's word in their intuitions so that the great weight of their own choices can be resolved and their anxiety can be relieved. And what, and what Phil Carey says in that book is that that's just immaturity. That's not the spirit. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, listen, I simultaneously believe that God can speak in our hearts and sometimes does. I also believe that God can speak through the prophetic and sometimes does. But I also believe that Carey is right, that younger evangelicals and younger evangelical charismatics are obsessed with hearing God's voice, especially in the younger eras of their life, to make their big decisions for them. Mm-hmm rather than making the best decision they can according to the word of God in their own desires 
and taking responsibility for their choices and who they marry, where they go to school or not, what, what they do for work, all those kinds of things. The Bible tells you to work. And the Bible says, in general, it's good for man not to be alone. And that taking the responsibility of a family and procreation and being a father are all intrinsically good things and the norm in human existence and what we should seek. So, generally speaking, find a woman and find a job and be part of Christ's church. Those are implicit commands if you can do so serviceably, right? But it says nothing about who other than giving you some kind of profile of what a godly woman and man looks like mm-hmm. and what, what productive work is, right? And what it means to be part of the church. So, so it sounds like uh, when they, like what you were just saying sounds like people will it, it feels like there's like a fallback then so if like if i'm saying that i feel like god's telling me to do this and it doesn't work out then i can just be like then i can blame it on god right and like, that's kind of what it feels like and i and i think that that happens like all the time but i'm wondering like what uh what then do we practice we young believers or just christians in general who are more in tune like are more prone to this type of thing what what do we practice then like how can we how can we like practice not being too intuitive but also like keeping that intuitive side and and holding like to the truth of scripture mm-hmm. yeah well i i think it or go ahead go ahead nick i want to add one more thing about the desire to hear such voices and that is is that we all want our lives to be like movie stars and very special and very exciting and the vast majority of human lives are very exciting in that they have eternal truths and eternal meaning flowing through them, but they're extremely mundane in the sense of like, you go to work, you come home, you spend time with your children, you make food, you go to the bathroom, you take a shower, mm-hmm. you mow the grass. You, that's what people's lives look like. And so when you're 19 or 20 in college and people are talking about going on mission trips and being missionaries or starting churches or blah, 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 blah. It's easy to be like, well, what, you know, what's my special one life going to be amazing in being? And so you see people who are like pre-med or they're going to be engineers or something like switch to communications and go in and become staff workers. And I think God calls some of them to do so. And some people need to do that. But I think some of them need to be staff workers for three or four years and then apply to med school mm-hmm. or be, you know, and they shouldn't have switched to communications. They should have stayed pre-med mm-hmm. and then been a staff worker because they'll sure. speak to pre-med people and doctors a lot better that way. And then they should go to med school or law school or whatever. Right. And so I think that, um, I think it's really important to recognize the natural mundaneness of a meaningful life and that your life is going to be really ordinary in a lot of ways. And the only way to live a truly extraordinary Christian life is to live in extraordinary godliness in a normally mundane life, unless you are called out of it. I mean, Paul says in at least two places explicitly to seek to live quiet and independent lives in true godliness and holiness. Like get a farm, raise some cows, have a wife, and seek that people would leave you alone and work hard enough to have enough to share with others. But some people are going to be called into extraordinary things though. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So it's not wrong to want your life to be special and to do something amazing and to go places and to like risk and all that kind of thing. And I think especially before you're married and have children is a good time to do that kind of stuff. But at the same time, as long as it's not escapist of the real and ordinary life that God gives as a gracious gift, Mm -hmm. if you get that straight and you have that theology straight, you're less prone 
to the kind of well-wishing and like voice seeking that can lead to a lot of confusion Mm -hmm. to your specific question. I want to let John answer too about like, how can we like live carefully in this is this is why you need a mentor. This is why you need older, wiser voices in your life of more experienced believers who both know the scriptures well and can point you to certain points of it. Mm -hmm. And who can also help you through the question of, is this intuition from God or not? And even if you think the intuition of God is from God or not, what you need to ask yourself is a, is this a decision I would stand by? Because it may very well be your decision, not God's. So you had better be willing to stand by that decision yourself if you later decide it's not God's will. And then B, if this goes terribly wrong, what is this going to do to my faith? Mm-hmm. If my dream doesn't come true, mm-hmm. will I say God abandoned me? Or will I say God didn't speak to me and so he probably doesn't speak and probably isn't there or doesn't care? If you're if that's what's going to happen to you, then you better not you better not go that direction unless you are very certain that this is God speaking. Mm-hmm. And by that John. I mean not you feel really emotionally intense about it. Mm-hmm. Real quick, John, before you say something, yeah. uh, I, it it feels like one thing that I just thought of is like for the person who has like the the ordinary life, um, the, it feels like it would be much more like. It sounds more honorable. Like I, I respect that way more for the person who has just like the everyday nine to five job, regular life to live in godliness and like to do it consistently. Because I don't know, like when I'm thinking of of like huge, like big name Billy Graham, like Christians who have this such important role or whatever in the in the in the body, it's like kind of it's like a no brainer. You let be like be godly and do the right thing. When I think of like everyday Christians it's easy to cut corners and I don't know, it it feels like it's even more honorable to to live a godly life as your everyday Christian. But I don't know. That's just kind of what I thought. John, what did you have to say? Um, I mean, I was just going to say what Nick said at the end so that uh, with regards to like, how do you, how do you grow in using the intuitive mind in such a way that you're not going to get way off base is right. Have a mentor, read your Bible. And like, as I mean, we, we, Nick talks about this all the time at high point, but it's like, as you're like, as you're training your deliberative mind, like that's going to, that's going to train your conscience as well. And that's going to like, there are like, as you grow in character, there are going to be certain things that you are going to intuit or aren't going to intuit. I I remember one of the things that, um, Something that stuck out to me that John Piper said years ago in an article I read was he talked about how, um, like, as you grow in Christ, you develop a better nose and like that you do, you develop a better, like you're, you're better at smelling these things that like, as you, as you sort of receive an intuition, you can kind of have a sense of like your, the intuition that interprets the intuition, like has a sort of a, a, like a more accurate scent to it like you can you can tell okay that's Mm -hmm. this more seems like it is it's lining up with the things that i know are true in scripture it's lining up with the things that i know are true about people it's lining up with the things that i know are like in my life and that like as those things are are being increasingly calibrated you can get a better sense of this is something that does seem like it's in line with all those things and therefore plausibly Mm -hmm. could be 
either from God directly or from a part of me that is like being made whole in God. Um, so I think, yeah. so that was the point I was going to make was just, yeah, read your Bible, have mentors, wrestle through these things. And I think those questions too, Nick, are, are important of the, um, like, yeah, what is this going to do to my faith? And is this a decision that I'm going to be able to, to stand by if I choose to make it? Yeah. Yeah. I think that idea, the con- that convert convergence of faculties you're talking about, just like, like if you pick up a piece of food to eat and it feels a certain way in your fingers, it looks a certain way to your sight, it smells a certain way to your nose. And so you take a bite out of it. Mm-hmm. And that bite almost always confirms what you think is going to happen. I think you're right. That similarly, like there's a convergence of, you've heard me say probably lots of times that doesn't smell right mm-hmm. in spiritual things. I'm like, I get it, but that doesn't smell right to me. Mm-hmm. And I've had people accuse me of having the gift of prophecy for behaving that way. And I, I think that could be true as far as it goes in terms of just walking with what the Lord. Ac- right? Accuse me of the gift of prophecy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I she needs to do that all the time. She's like, she's like, you just do the prophetic all the time. You just don't even know. And I'm like, Okay, you know, yeah. So, yeah, but so I, I, I do think it, I think it's important also to say another something else. If you think God tells you something prophetically, like you're gonna marry so and so, which almost never happens, by the way, um, or like I want you to do this kind of work, or you're gonna be this kind of special person. Um, besides that, you should be very careful about your own wishful thinking about being special. Um. That doesn't mean you're not supposed to prepare an extremely disciplined hard work for the thing that you think God is speaking to you. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if you think God is going to give you, like if, if you think God, you think God speaks to you that he's going to give you a godly husband. Yeah, but he's, he, he probably doesn't mean therefore don't become a godly woman or bother with such things because you're going to get a godly man. So who cares? What he's probably saying is if you'll become a godly woman, I will bring a, along a godly man that will recognize that and wish to marry you mm-hmm. and vice versa for a man, for a man relative to a woman, become a godly man. And then my prophetic word about you finding a godly wife will, will come to pass. Right. Same thing with like being special or whatever. Like I want to be like the next Billy Graham or like great preacher or whatever. Great. Well work extremely hard to become a great preacher. Mm-hmm. And then the providences you can't control. God may work in such a way as though his prophetic word comes to pass. But you should never believe that God's prophetic word is meant to put you at ease. It's always meant to drive you deeper into faith and action and discipline and courage and activity. Mm-hmm. It's meant to encourage you into a vigorous following of him. And if you re- receive or think you hear a prophetic word in your heart that doesn't have the effect of strengthening you or pushing you back on the path and energizing you, I'd be very skeptical that that is a word from the Lord. Anything that extinguishes your energy to follow God with all your heart, I would I would normally discern against in relationship to it being a prophetic or true prophetic word. To the to the uh, mentor thing, there's a Proverbs fifteen twenty two that says, "Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed." I think that might apply to what you guys are saying. That's what I thought of. Um, do you guys have anything else to say on this? I think that's that's good enough for now. There is a lot yep. more you can say about the prophetic. Okay. But I do yeah. think for people who don't know anything about this, who are biblical Christians, becoming somewhat conversive and charismatic dumb and like some of these things that like other Bible believing Christians believe in very strongly. I don't think you should adopt all the things that they believe, 
but being conversant in them, understanding these portions of the Bible, like first Corinthians 12 to 14 mm-hmm. and some of these other places that talk about these gifts is important because this is part of the body. This is part of following Christ. These other people are part of the body of Christ mm-hmm. and God seeks for us to have unity with them. And that is possible. And so I think it is, it is important over time. If you're going to mature in faith, especially in leadership that you become conversant with these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think later on, we're going to talk about uh, specifically about, like in a different podcast about uh, speaking in tongues, which will be fun too. But um, yeah, so I guess that's it for today. And we're, we're, we're back, baby. <laughs> big, big question. Some big questions. Yeah, we'll have Nick, to start doing these at 5.30 a.m. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Only for a few years until my kids are out of the house. But as long as I have kids, my wife will not abide me adding other hours to my day. For we're going at 5.30 a.m. And it's going to drop at 5.30 a.m. We'll we're going live. We'll see um, how yeah, that's it for No, I, I can't even talk at 5 a.m. Um, yeah, uh, if you go to bed day. earlier, you can. That's that's not an option here. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got is TV that because TV. the best video gaming is after midnight? That's right. Dude, I was trying to play Fortnite with Dude. And the kid just quit on me. I think he realized I suck, and he just quit. <laughs> he does that to me too sometimes, actually. <laughs> what? And I, I play this game Survive IO with him, and sometimes he's just like, "Dad, I just, I just can't play with you for a little while. I need to just play by myself." <laughs> That's Which he is... hasn't done that any anymore because I'm I'm better than the random team member you just get now. Yeah. So, yeah. so I can be in his little squad of four, and it's fine. And then he just hopes he gets another good player, you know? But with Fortnite, I I have no interest in even getting involved in that morass and empty hole of time. I just it, I just am not. I, I tell Jude, I, I can do one video game at a time, and that's it. And I'm only doing it to spend time with you because I think these are stupid things. What do you, do you it like is fun. They're fun. It's not that they're not, they're not fun. Video games are totally fun. They're engrossing. Yeah. They're enjoyable. I love them. That's why I don't use them for the most right. part. It's like alcoholism or promiscuous sex or something like that. I just can't handle it because it'll it'll distract me from what my life is really for. My life is for getting dubs on Fortnite, <laughs> and that's what I do. Well, if you uh, can if you can monetize it, maybe I'm working on it. I'm working. Yeah, on the Optive Optive um, Gaming Stream is coming out. It's, it's a real thing. It actually is. It's on Twitch. Me and my friends literally named it. Optive Gaming. We're on Twitch, ladies and gentlemen. So what you you talk about hard cultural issues in the Bible while no. shooting people <laughs> in Fortnite? Yeah, that's the whole. No, we we just play video games, and that's what it's all about. I I like Overwatch a little bit more. Doesn't matter. Um, and that's so but, wait so so that gaming channel in which you do that is branded to this podcast. Yeah, it, I absolutely. suppose we could get some people moving from one to the everything, other. Everything everything that Andy does. Is hey, brand. if you're li- if you're still listening because you watched Andy game. God bless you. The Lord wants to speak to you, and I'm so glad you're listening. All right, guys, I have to get on. A, I have to get on a call here in a minute. All right, yeah, I'm gonna close this out. I'm gonna try to do this for the third time this podcast, <laughs> guys. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. We will see you guys soon. Goodbye. Yeah.